Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, actually, I believe it was big swinging dicks. So there was obviously an overexcited imagination on the part of some, I would suggest. Because if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. I love the mansplaining. I'm enjoying it. What's mansplaining, Senator? Welcome to In the House and In the Senate. I'm Alicia Aiken-Radburn and we're talking to women in Australian politics about who they are, what they do and why it matters. Sophie Kotsis is the Labor member for Canterbury in New South Wales. She's been in New South Wales Parliament for over 10 years and served in the Legislative Council from 2010 to 2016 before moving to the Legislative Assembly. Sophie is the daughter of Greek migrants, mother to Cassandra and George, and was the first Greek-Australian woman to be elected to New South Wales Parliament. Before entering politics, Sophie was a hospitality worker at Sydney Airport, where she became involved in unionism and increasingly the Labor Party. Sophie was also my first boss in politics. I worked for her as a media and policy assistant for two years. It was a fantastic first experience for me diving into the world of politics, thanks to Sophie's passion to make change, empathy and depth of experience. So it's been a while between chats. Um, as I mentioned I, I've uh, at the top of this episode, you're my first boss. You were my real entry point into the world, crazy world of politics. <laughs> and the question that I ask everyone at the beginning of each episode is what does your day look like today? Alicia, I'm very, very proud of you and know that <laughs> I'm so happy what you're doing it's uh, fantastic and you're you're getting out there and it's great to see your career progress and I am very proud of uh, all the people that have worked um, for me because uh, I've seen that they're they're very successful so my day starts um, probably at about quarter to five five o'clock every morning and because I'm a shadow minister in a 10-year um in a 10-year opposition, um, I have to um, and I make sure that I check the media and if there is a story, if there's obviously stories that I've got in the paper, make sure that we get onto radio, make sure that the Labor Party is putting their, um, you know, they're advocating for the people of New South Wales. But then I have to organise, get the kids ready. My husband gets helps out a lot. 
and um, then I drive them to school. So get them get them ready. I'm not a very good, um, uh, I'm not very good at sort of making breakfast and doing all of that. So that's pretty. You're busy. That's pretty bad. <laughs> um, and then yeah, taking them to school, and then you know I could be at a citizenship ceremony. I could be having a whole lot of meetings in the office. I could be traveling across the regions. Um, so my day, there's no one day that's the same. And, but as well, I just also have to manage my own health as well. So I try and get in a walk or try and get in a swim um, and probably yoga, like which I have to since my uh, breast cancer diagnosis. So I try and fit it all in. And then in between, um, my mum is always uh, calling me to go past and pick up food because uh, she worries that the kids um, aren't eating well. And so, yeah, so that's kind of the day. <laughs> it takes a village. That's what they say. It sure does. <laughs> Sophie, you mentioned your breast cancer diagnosis. Now your road as a parliamentarian has not been smooth. At that point in, it was 2018, you handed over your women aging disability services shadow portfolios at the time and you went through months of surgery chemo and radiotherapy can you tell me about that fight and uh, i mean the fight itself but also your decision not to resign and you came back stronger than ever at the 2019 election and you took the seat of canterbury once more well, it's been, yes, that's that's right. Like, as you know, um, you worked for me when I was in the New South Wales Upper House and in those early years of wilderness opposition and uh, that was, and we, we can talk about more about that, but um, as you were there with uh, the by-election in Canterbury when uh, Linda resigned to um, uh, to go into Barton to be elected the, the member for Barton and she's doing an amazing job. And uh, so... Come beginning of 2018, and I went for a, a scan, um, mammogram, and an ultrasound, and uh, we, and then biopsy, and then I was diagnosed with um, with breast cancer, and uh, it was the most uh, traumatic feeling ever that I've experienced in my life so far, and it was um, a real turning point, a real turning point in my life, and. I questioned mortality. I questioned, you know, a lot of things. You know, I had, I've got two little kids, a beautiful family, um, my parents, my brother. You know, so um, it was devastating. And so, yes, it was, yeah, just you know, months and months. But um, at the same time, I wanted to get really well. And so, I, I'm very grateful to my colleagues, to my parliamentary colleagues, um, to you know at the time our general secretary the leader of our party at the time who uh, and for any workplace you need to have supportive people so you're not thinking constantly thinking about work so you can focus on getting better and coming back and contributing and that's that's what you know what what I wanted to do and also more importantly um, my staff who held the office together and you know who who just went above and beyond, and I I have a, a debt of gratitude to them, um, and of course of course my family. I want to I I do want to go back to 
what initially got you involved in politics. But just while we were on this, how do you feel like that experience coloured how you interacted with your job and the meaning of your job to you? I think that with um, going through that process, the treatment process, I think it it put a lot of perspective and it also made me, um, uh, I, I look, I, I do, you know, I, you think about, you reflect a lot about the decisions that you've made and you quest, I questioned a lot of the decisions that I made and I, you know, I guess the frustration of going through the, the treatment at the same time having small children and then questioning, you know, and then, and then the mortality aspect. Um, I, I think that as, as days went by and I started to get a lot better, um, I it was a turning point for me that, you know, I have an, a duty and an obligation to raise awareness about um, about this disease and which is something that I didn't want to talk about um, for a long time and I wasn't a very, I wasn't very open about it. Um, of course, I publicly, you know, announced and, um, but I wasn't open about it and I guess that was, you know, lack of confidence um, and also I now, you know, I'll talk about it and I guess for, for me now that's why it's important um, going forward in a, in a potentially hopefully a Labor government in 2023 um, that I can contribute through my own experience but also be a lot more understanding. And that's for me um, it's being balanced, a balance, trying to find some balance, which there's no balance in my life, but making sure yeah. I look after my health, that's the number one. But in- when you say when you said decisions, what are you talking political decisions or decisions about your life and your family? Yeah, I think that. Um, yeah, I think decisions about um, you know I could have travelled. You know, I wanted to travel. Um, I wanted to experience a lot more. Um, but I, you know, as a working class, um, you know, coming from a working class background, migrant, you know, background, you know, the choices were limited. You had to, you know, go to school, uni and work and get a good job and, you know, so and to and, and aspire for something bigger and better. So I'm, I... I did make a decision to follow that path rather than go through, you know, sort of travel and take some gap years and, you know, so, and, and I did, you know, experience, you know, a good sort of uni life and working. Um, But yeah, it was myself and my peers went through, you know, very challenging time because we were also responsible for our parents in, in terms of explaining a lot of things to them filling out forms, translating for them, interpreting for them. So we weren't just, you know, going through uni. We had other responsibilities. That takes me to what what initially got you involved in politics. I remember when I used to work for you, you just would bring out the most (laughs) incredible pictures of you at various Macquarie University (laughs) Labor Club events. And it would be like, I can't remember the particular photo, but you showed me this photo and I'm pretty sure... Was it Bill Shorten? There was some young, or maybe Albo. Oh, 
There was it, there was plenty of um, yeah we young <laughs> just like young people who are now you know the leaders of the labor <laughs> movement and you're all just like you're all like having VBs and you're like in some little <laughs> common room at Macquarie <laughs> University. What what pushed you? What drove you to get involved with Macquarie University Labor Club and and the labor movement in general? Yeah, look, it's yeah, good. You know, it's good questions and. Look, it was Gough Whitlam. It was Gough Whitlam who, um, it was a law society thing and I didn't study law but it was it was, Goff. A, it was yeah. Goff. And we've got this wonderful photo of him and the stu- and students, the peers that I went through uni with and Tony Burke's in the photo and another friend of mine, Bill Katharis and Harry Farros and um, uh, Ben Way, you know, so you've got people like Ben's involved with Macquarie, you know, very high position. So, um, and, and you know, we were all, you know, working-class kids who um, were inspired by golf, but he he was invited as a guest of the Law Society, um, sorry, the Law, um, uh, the Macquarie Law um, Club. And so I was a bit of a, a hanger-oner, you know. So, <laughs> uh, but with, with um, my involvement, I, it came from school. So, you know, I was involved with Students' Council. Um, I went to Kingsgrove High and I was involved with Students' Council and um, and we were trying to buy blinds for a, a, for a bunch of our rooms. And, you know, we got, um, we wrote to the 2SM at the time and we got on and um, they came to our school. 2SM is the radio yes, station. Yes, 2SM is the, yeah, yeah, yeah. is the radio. But at the time, 2SM was like the hot 40, the top hot 40, you know, it was a pop. So it's like you basically, you wrote to like Carl and Jackie O and you were like, we need blinds for our school. <laughs> oh, they're not, they're not that old. They're not that old. But it was, um, I just, I remember they had, they they came in and they had a school disco and we raised some money for the blinds. And so that kind of, it, it was a taste of what is possible, what you can do. And, you know, Kingsgrove High, we were, school in the suburbs um, and I remember we had Nick Greiner came to our school. He was the premier at the time and um, all the teachers made us wear um, these badges, you know, so there was a massive um, anti-Griner, you know, there was a massive blue between the teachers and the Liberal government at the time. So, um, yeah, so that and, and I guess those teachers as well as, you know, seeing my parents going through what they were going through, it was a period of time where we had a Hawke government, um, uh, we had Hawke and Keating, there were changes to the Australian economy, there was the, you know, floating of the dollar, you had a lot of manufacturing going offshore. And so I saw that impact, that manufacturing going offshore, I saw that impact my mum, people like my mum who were in her, you know, mid, late 30s, who then couldn't get a job. They were on the scrap heap. And they were tough days, really tough days. And so how did that translate from where in your career did it pivot from you as a worker, aware of the Labor Party, aware of the Labor movement, to you joining the Labor Party I think, and getting involved? I think there was a point, I can't give you the exact time, but I think there was a point in me when I was about 12 or 13 and my mum was trying to find a job and she would get me to every Saturday 
they'd pick up, my mum and my dad would pick up the Sydney Morning Herald and they would ask me to go through the positions vacant and we would be looking for cleaning or cook jobs. And so then I'd have to ring up and make the appointment and um, and then I, I remember we went to um, a pub in the Shire. Uh, we caught the train, went to a pub in the Shire so my mum could be the housekeeper, the cleaner. And I remember her being interviewed and, and the guy was really rude to her. And I just felt so, um, I just, I felt like really sorry for her. And, you know, I had that feeling of it was not, not it was humiliating for this woman, you know, who's trying to, you know, bring home, you know, a bit of money to help the family and, you know, pay the mortgage. And, and then she was humiliated and it was, it was discriminatory as well. So I guess at that point, that feeling, that um, fire, that really, it really fired me up. And I didn't know what to do. And I guess, you know, going through high school and students council and all that, I think the real, I guess for me, that real time was I worked at Sydney Airport and there were a lot of women like my mum. They weren't getting paid their, one of their allowances. And I joined the the liquor trades union and, um, and we, I remember we went off on strike (laughs) because, we wanted the the right allowances to be paid, and and then um, I met people like Tony Burke and Morris Yammer, and um, got involved in the Labor Party. And Paul Keating was um, I went to a barbecue that Tony had organised, and um, and Paul Keating was there. And I think it was in between his first challenge. It was in between the first challenge and the second challenge, and yeah. And then I I, I joined the party and. That and I was completely inspired by Keating and what the Labor Party can do for people, like just you know people like me. How did the how did the path to the upper house um, play out? What what I mean, I think that's the elusive thing, particularly to young women. Like it's amazing seeing people like yourself in who who are obviously so passionate and. I think a lot of young people would look at parliamentarians like yourself and think, wow, I'm really glad that there's a woman advocating for for us in parliament. <laughs> but I think the elusive thing is how do you go from just like being someone with passion, with fire, who wants to make change to actually being an upper house member? Look, I'm I'm very inspired by young people who are engaged in politics more than ever. And they don't get their news, you know, from from just TV. It's and and particularly with COVID, there has been a real engagement with um, politicians, particularly wanting certain, wanting to know what's going on with with COVID and the disruption in people's lives. You know, whether it's education or just going out nightclubbing. Like, you know, you've got 18, 19 year old people who want to go out dancing and going out, and they haven't been able to go out. You know, so. That's a big change in in young people's lives, and I think um, the I think yeah the the I think there are a lot of people who are engaged. I think we need to see more. I want I'd love to see more young people involved in in politics and in political life. That it's not just joining the Labor Party. There's a whole lot of a whole lot of political parties, and as part of our robust democracy, I think being engaged and involved. You don't have to join a party. You can join your local 
bush care group or you know the local country women's association or there's there's a whole lot of organizations and i think we've seen a lot more volunteering um there's a lot of environmental groups youth environmental groups and people really um young people that that i come across care about uh, education they want to see that there's a future in a future both in jobs and both in the environment. And, you know, I think that's absolutely critical. And the other thing too that I think people like 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 Cassandra, you know, who's 11 and a half, um, and she's a school leader, and, you know, for her it just doesn't make sense, like Aboriginal reconciliation. Like for her it's a, it's a no-brainer. Like for our young yep. people, like it's like it's a no-brainer. Why, you know, why can't we, why haven't we recognised our, you know, Indigenous brothers and sisters in the Constitution. Like, she asks me this all the time. And it's like, yes, of course, you know. So there's an expectation from the from that generation. We have to do better. We have to do better. So, and I think for women, like, getting to the upper house, I mean, you know, I had no political connections. I don't come from a political party, you know, like, working class migrant girl from the suburbs and absolutely dedicated and committed you know to to public service and and the labor party and um you know working through i got involved working through you know the union movement representing um people and you know an opportunity arose and you can never pick your time so you can't go okay yeah. 20 i'm going to do all of this and then in 20 years time i'm going to do this you and 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 you know there's opportunities that that arise and I came in I was appointed um, because there was a vacancy and I had a one year old child and a and a five year old child so <laughs> um, and we need to make it um, accessible for people mm-hmm. of you know all ages of you know whatever background um, and to be involved in in politics. Let's talk New South Wales Labor. You mentioned <laughs> you mentioned it's been a while in opposition. I I often joke. I was doing a, a podcast the other day um, about personal finance of all things. I just love this these guys. They're like young guys who talk about finance and investing. And I think it's so important for young people to be empowered about that sort of stuff. But I was doing that podcast and I was explaining my political background and I, I joked that I'd never seen the seat, the government seats because, you know, when I joined the Labor Party in uh, 2011 in New South Wales, it wasn't, it wasn't a crash hot year. Um, and we have been in opposition for a very long time. So it's no... It's no secret that New South Wales Labor has been going through a bumpy period, for lack of a better word. What do you think is the path forward to rebuild uh, New South Wales Labor and to be seen as a contender by voters? Look, Alicia, I believe that I, I believe that um, the wilderness years of, of twenty eleven, um, we well, where the Labor Party, New South Wales Labor, was decimated at the polls. And, in fact, when you look at other parties across Australia over the last 10 years, whether it be Queensland, um, Labor, whether the WA Libs at the moment, where we thought, you know, we were completely decimated and a historical loss in New South Wales, where in the lower house we had 20 
uh, members of parliament. And in fact, when you look at WA Libs and in Queen, you know, Queensland Labor um, six, seven years ago, where it, it was not decimation, like it was just absolute devastation. So, you know, we, we had those uh, 20 um, Labor MPs and, and a handful in the upper house and uh, we had purpose and intent and we had to, we had no choice and as um, one of the world's oldest political parties that was founded by working people, um, we had to rebuild step by step and we had to prove to the people who are the unions, for example, we had to rebuild the relationship and the trust with union members um, and then going forward, you know, with the community and then with the business community. And we had to demonstrate that by building that trust and building back those relationships and those things and those relationships take a long time and then you know we had to be and as you know Alicia um, when I when you were working for me that it was non-stop um, we had to just drive across New South Wales um, week in week out when parliament wasn't sitting and we had to demonstrate just our basic credentials, you know, that we are worthy of the people's trust. And, you know, we would talk to the people. And as you know, I had a lot of, um, uh, a couple of seats that I had to look after in the Hunter because we had been completely smashed um, in the Hunter. And um, and we were, yeah, we were, at, you know, completely smashed in the Hunter. And um, we, what I found was, People just wanted to explain their situation for us to advocate in Parliament, you know, get out there, be seen and talk about what we would do for working people, working families, put some ideas on the table. And that took a long time. It took a long time and that was, um, and I think that model we we tried to replicate again, again, you know, we won a handful of seats in 2015 um, and then... Unfortunately, we didn't win in 2015, but we we were able to have a um, a reasonable opposition. Um, we had we. It was a very very difficult task, you know, very difficult task. So, my um, at the moment, as you know, that we it's been a, a challenging um, few weeks, and um, I'm hoping that you know there will be a resolution. Um, very soon, so because we- are you going to give me? Are you going to give me your hot take on <laughs> the leadership? <laughs> do you think it will? Do you think it will go to a rank and file ballot? Look, we're you know, um, uh, I think that um, we went to, through a rank and file ballot. It was the first time that we went through that um, in uh, two years ago after the election. Um, we've had you know terrific leaders and. But look, I think you know at the at this point in time, um, we need uh, we we need a, a change. We need you know a, a fresh um, change, and you know I, I'll let you know now that I'll be supporting Chris Nings. Um, and I think that you know having known Chris for a very long time at a at a local level, but not only understands you know has a, understands the institutional foundation of what the obligation is of of the Labor Party but I also 
um, you know, believe that we can all the parts of the labor movement can work together to advance, you know, people's lives. And, you know, people are moving out to greater Western Sydney. We've got to look at making housing more affordable, provide a choice, um, but also, you know, providing a whole lot of solutions and, uh, of course, for education and health is a, a key to a, you know, better, better life. What do you think is the, if you were to point to sort of one thing in New South Wales that you think that the, oppos- the opposition, the government isn't doing well at the moment, what would that be for you? What do you think is the number one thing that needs to be addressed? I think um, health health is, um, I and, and, you know, let me say that, that the, uh, I take my, I, and I have praised Dr. Kerry Chant um, in the, who is our, um, our chief, chief, chief health, medical health officer. officer. He's yeah. done an extraordinary job. And of course, you know, the people in Department of Health and our nurses and our doctors and specialists and, you know, and our contact tracers. And, you know, these are protocols that have been set up you know, during during labour, you know the the those those pandemic protocols. Because if people remember, in the early two thousands, we had um, the SARS, and you know there were a whole lot of other uh, potential pandemics. Well, that, that that were happening at the time. So, I think that um, the the state of the hospitals, and at the moment, there's a rural health inquiry, and there have been you know hundreds and hundreds of submissions have been lodged. And you've got, you know, a lot of country hospitals that don't have doctors. You've got, you know, the tea ladies who are holding newborn babies. Um, you've got um, nurses having to run to Coles to buy Band-Aids. I mean, that's fourth world conditions. And, you know, there's in my local area, you know, in, in Canterbury, for example, we've got a hospital um, that needs to be redeveloped, hasn't been for 25 years. And you've got um, thousands of development um, because the government green-lighted development that should have shouldn't have been um, have been uh, green-lighted and we're in a situation where we've got a infrastructure health infrastructure deficit so we're not seeing that coordination and I think that you know the government there are many gaps in our health system you've got you know that we need more paramedics um, we need n- more nurse care and the government uh, has capped wages, so you've got very limited uh, wage increases, and that was done. You know, you remember Alicia back in 2011, and we fought tooth and nail. You know, for four days. Um, um, uh, you know, where the parliament stayed open for four days to have this historical debate. You know, to stop this wages cap and let the IRC deal with um, with you know an independent umpire, but. So it's been pretty, you know, pretty devastating. But I think that that's the that's the number one issue for me. So if I won't keep you <laughs> too much longer because you know we heard at the beginning of the episode what a busy woman you are, but. I just wanted to ask you one last question, which is for young people listening to this podcast, what is your biggest piece of wisdom that you can give someone who, you know, watches politics, finds it interesting, wants to be more engaged? What's your biggest piece of advice? Um, Just just get active, get involved, you know. Go to, if you're involved in in, um, local, whether it's environmental issues, whether it's um, advocating very strongly for women. We've seen 
across Australia, you know, some phenomenal young women who I'm very proud of who are, are coming forward and, you know, putting forward um, their views, but also they're changing the course of history in our nation by raising these issues. And so, you know, my advice is get involved, get out there, uh, reach out to your local female MPs. doesn't matter if they're busy, but, you know, even ask them to if you want to do work experience or come along to a meeting and get to know people and get to meet, you'll get to meet people. So, yeah, that's, that's my piece of advice, but get out there. Thank you so much for joining me, Sophie. It's been a joy and it's also just been so great it's to so catch good. up. It's so good. I'm so happy <laughs> Thank to you. see you. Well done. Thank you so much. <laughs> in the House and in the Senate is recorded on the land of the Wadjuk people. This land was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. If you enjoyed this episode of In the House and in the Senate, please jump into your podcast app, subscribe and give me a quick rating and review. This will help the podcast reach more people and I will personally be incredibly grateful. Also, be sure to head over to the podcast Instagram at In the House in the Senate, where I'll be sharing content from our guests, throwbacks to my time in staffing and resources to help you get more involved in the political system. You can also follow my personal account at alicia.akenradburn. Thanks for listening and speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> next question. <laughs> See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.